welcome to the Smarter Building Materials Marketing Podcast, helping you find better ways to grow leads, sales, and outperform your competition. All right, everybody, welcome to Smarter Building Materials Marketing, where we believe your online presence should be your best salesperson. I'm Zach Williams, alongside my co-host, Beth Popnikolov, and we've got a great show lined up for you today. Today in the studio, we are really excited to welcome Mary Cook. She is the president of Mary Cook Associates. They're a commercial interior design firm. They're based out of the Chicago area, but they do projects all over the nation. And Mary has some really cool perspective to share about the importance of manufacturer rep relationships. Mary, before we get started, can you take a few minutes and share with our listeners about yourself, Mary Cook Associates, and then we'll jump into it. Sure. We are based in Chicago, as you said. However, we're a national firm. We currently have probably 100 projects going on across 36 different states. We're a commercial interiors firm, fully integrated. And when I say that, I mean we design, we procure, we install, we do it all. So it's a very seamless exercise that results in really exceptional interiors. But we service just builders, developers, owners of prestigious real estate across the country. They're usually developing to a specific target market with both geographic and demographic influences at hand. So we take those into account. We don't have a signature look or style, but rather a unique proprietary approach for interiors. So we create unique one-of-a-kind curated interiors that help our clients lease up faster, sell faster, maximize the asset value if they're going to market all those good things. We call it ROE or return on environment. And that's sort of the result of great interiors. Mary, one thing I'm interested to get your take on is just hearing about your relationship with manufacturer reps. You have a very interesting perspective about how they help you win projects. And I don't want to lead the question too much, but I'm curious to get your take of how you interface with manufacturer reps and how they're helping you through the whole entire journey of winning work, and making sure that your vision actually comes to life. Can you speak to that a little bit? The manufacturer's reps are the lifeblood of our design department. We're a team of 40 design professionals, architects, marketing, and administrative people. But our designers, all the studio leads, project designers, I had a conversation with them as I was preparing for this to talk about some of their favorite manufacturer's reps, stories and incidents and so forth. And they said they are the lifeblood to our project and to safeguarding design intent, quality of execution, and most importantly today is budget. As everybody knows, affordability is probably top of mind on every single project. So The best manufacturers reps are those that are knowledgeable and informed and understand when we go to them and we say we have a student housing project, we have a luxury condominium project in Florida, in Boston, wherever it is, they understand right away the parameters we need to specify from. They can oftentimes be very instrumental in helping us achieve an overall look and save money because I would say that Value engineering is just a big part of what we're having to do today to keep projects on budget. Can you talk a little bit about how reps are helping you make sure you're keeping, and I don't want to speak for you, but they're keeping GCs honest? I mean, we're designers at heart, so we want to use the best and the most beautiful and the newest and the coolest and all of that. And so oftentimes we'll be the first to specify something. We have a steady stream of manufacturers reps coming through our office and demonstrating new materials and resources every week. 
But so we want to specify that. And we are oftentimes the first to market. So we might put a spec in a high rise, let's say a flooring material. So you can only imagine the quantity involved in 17 floors of corridors or 15,000 square feet of amenity space. So we'll specify something and the GC might be unfamiliar with the product. His go-to subcontractor might not represent that product. And so they'll double the price, triple the price, or if they're uninformed on it, they'll just throw a number at it. Then our client comes back to us and says, oh my gosh, that flooring you spec, you got to come up with something better. That's throwing the whole job. And we say, wait a second. Our manufacturer's rep told us that product was, I'm just making these numbers up, $10 a square foot. Why are your subs coming in at $60 a square foot? And that's happened where we've had you know, three times markup on it. And so our reps, we will call our rep and they will go to the mat with that. They'll call the GC, they'll call the vendor, the subcontractor, and they'll say, wait a second, I want this specification and here's the cost on that. So yeah, they're instrumental in getting that. Really, the GC might be just really busy. If he suddenly has a resource that's available, well, then it's problem solved. Do you have a favorite rep? I have three different examples. The Shaw Carpet rep just recently on Lumara, which is a project that we're doing for Toll Brothers Apartment Living in Texas, saved us $200,000 on the corridor carpet. Can you tell us the story about how that happened? The specification went in to the drawing set. The bid came back really high. The client said, you've got to be this. The rep went to work negotiating with the local subcontractor and they somehow got that number squeezed down. So there's an example of cost cutting, which is huge right now. Our another favorite rep is our guy from Platform Surfaces. His name is Frank, and he represents a bunch of different tiles from overseas. So he's really instrumental in letting us know issues. You're not going to have any overseas issues. So he is just very, very hands-on, and he's in our office almost monthly taking great care of our designers and kind of dotting I's and crossing T's. Another one, Colin Spartan Surfaces, that's a carpet. He is another one of their favorites, probably for a lot of the same reasons. I can tell you, I was working at a golf club once and Carol Bauer over at North Carolina Manufacturer of Lockers, and she was so instrumental. It was a very high-end golf club, and we were specifying men's and women's locker rooms, swim and tennis, and golf. I mean, she's like, oh, no, no, the golfers are going to want two hooks there, shoe rack there, bar there. You know, this is a high-end club. You're definitely going to want extra bells and whistles, and she told us exactly what people prefer. She was incredible. Who's the worst rep you've ever encountered, Mary? Let's go there. <laughs> Just a lazy one. One that doesn't really have a vested interest in getting the job, could care less, stops by the office, dumps stuff in the library. They're non-responsive, uninformed, unknowledgeable about their product. So honestly, our design teams, they'll avoid them because they're not going to be responsive. So, Mary, you're talking about a rep's dream. This is like the gold standard of what we know really good reps and really good manufacturers want from a relationship standpoint with their customers. You guys have longstanding relationships and you've gone through multiple projects. 
what does it look like for a rep to get a first chance with you? Because these are high stakes, right? Someone's saving you $200,000. Someone's going to the mat with you to make sure that your vision and your intentions get carried out. That's high stakes to just be like, sure, we'll try you. What could go wrong? A lot could go wrong. So for that first risk really on your part, what does that look like for a rep to earn your trust the first time? That's a good question. And we will do diligence on that because oftentimes we're not talking. If we were doing private residential work, it would be one chair doesn't work, no problem. 300 chairs makes a big difference. So what we'll do is, first of all, we vet up front. If the product looks cool and is interesting and it's got an aesthetic that's attractive to us and it's a price point that meets most of our clients' needs, we'll be interested. And I got to be honest with you, even though I own the business, my degree is in interior design. So I will still look at my emails, the solicitation ones that come through, and I'll check out the product. And I can tell in the first 10 seconds if it's something we would work or not. I either delete or I forward to the designers. And we have Anne-Marie in our office who sets up and organizes all the rep visits. Since we're working all over the country, everybody's traveling a ton. So she makes sure that she books the reps at a time when everybody's going to be here and they have a solid audience. So I kind of will vet that. But then a lot of times lines will come to us because reps will usually be representing multiple lines. So it might be a tried and true rep that's calling on us for these five things, but now they've started carrying a couple more. So from a manufacturer's standpoint, if you tap into a rep that's got a strong client base already, that's your foot in the door right there. And you know what? I will honestly say like a Thursday afternoon, a little wine goes a long way (laughs) in our (laughs) office. (laughs) You know, you'll often find the reps coming at four o'clock on a Thursday and they're hanging out in the kitchen, having a cocktail and looking at some cool stuff. And they'll use it if it's good and it's cool, but then it's got to vet out. We'll be concerned about performance because we have to be. Mary, you said something there a second ago I want to get your opinion on, which is you get an email from, let's say, a manufacturer or rep you currently are not working with, and you said within 10 seconds you can tell if it's a product you would work with or not. What do you see in those 10 seconds that lets you know, yes, this is good or no, this is not? Usually it will be an image of something, a strong image of the product used in an application that's well done. And I'm like, ooh, what is this? You know, maybe the headline will say restaurant tables you can't live without. I'm just making that up. And if I click on it and I see something I like, then I read further. I bet it before I send it to my team. Mary, where are you seeing commercial design go in the next five years? So I think that generally speaking, durability, suitability, of course, is a factor. I got to jump to this real quick, but during the last big recession, so 2005 to eight, let's say, 80% of our business for two years was being called in to fix things or finish things that another design firm had just done. It was either, I don't know, our customers aren't relating or I don't know, there's just something missing. So I would go in, assess the situation, come back, write the prescription. And after 20, 30 fixes, it was the same seven things over and over again that I was fixing. So I ended up writing a book about it. It's called The Art of Space. And it articulates those seven fundamentals because if you get them right, people will pay more for real estate. They'll join country clubs. They'll pay more for hamburgers. They'll be more productive at work. We had example after example of the effects of that. So the aesthetic definitely has been leaning more contemporary, but the interiors have to do that. 
they have to have a visceral effect on people. They have to draw them in and then they have to function really well. And the decisions we make have to elevate the way that functions. And so we have a whole set of tools as to how we do that. So our spaces kind of perform better and people will linger longer in them. They'll invite friends. And so that's how you want them to perform. So the aesthetic part will draw them in. And, you know, I would say every seven to 10 years, those aesthetics change. And right now they're very contemporary, clean lines, modern, but as recently as 15 years ago, it was very traditional. But you see that ebbs and flows with the way people move and the generations as they emerge and kind of make their own stamp on the world. So I think that interiors right now, they're remaining somewhat clean, but they really need to perform. Mary, one question I like to always ask people is, if you're a manufacturer listening to this show, what's the one piece of advice that you would give them if they're trying to increase specifications with a design or architecture firm? What would you tell them? It goes without saying you have to have an awesome product. And when you do, you know, we're all interested. We're hungry for that. So figure out a way to get in and take great care of your customers, be knowledgeable and informative, understand market nuances. The reason that we love Frank so much is if we say we got a project in Florida, he knows, ooh, you can't install this in Florida. There's a mold issue or you got to do this. And we love that because they're smarter than us. They enable our specifications. They help us make better decisions. So I would say educate your reps, put them on the road, train them to be collaborative in nature and to be really, really instrumental in helping us to do better work. Mary, thank you so much for coming on the show. If someone wants to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Email is probably the best, cook at marycook.com. <laughs> We've been around that long, so that's probably the best way to reach out. Yeah, and thank you so much for coming to the show. And for our listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, check us out at venvio.com slash podcast to subscribe and get more. Until next time, I'm Zach Williams alongside Beth Popnikolov. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>